Welcome back to Bones, Stone and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And it's the new year. Uh, at least we're recording this in January, and hopefully we'll get this out by January. <laughs> Thank you to all our listeners who have stuck around with us. Robert and I have actually a new recording schedule for 2018, and we're going to kind of go forward and, and try to record more consistently and hopefully get our episodes out more consistently. Yeah. It's a New Year's resolution for, for podcasting. <laughs> For everybody, I hope everybody had a really great holidays and, and New Year's, and hopefully you're listening to this, like I said, in January, where it still kind of makes sense for me to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to go through some quick announcements. We do have some guests that we are trying to line up for this year. You know, Robert's been talking to a few people, and we've been trying to uh, reach out to some people so you guys get a different view of Dark Sun, uh, not just Robert and I talking. We're also going to try to uh, prepare a little longer, um, a little more further in advance for our topics and try to slim down our focus a little bit for each episode so that everybody can hear a little more in depth, but also just kind of cool stuff that we've seen. And uh, we've actually, you know, I had a couple people ask and say, oh, can you guys get a little more in depth into some rules mechanics? And knock on wood, we're hoping to see something released um, so that we can talk more about some of the rules mechanics, but we will try and accommodate as well as possible for everybody. <laughs> I don't know if we're really going to get into more rules mechanics just because some, you know, there's so many additions that people play. Um, and so like, I don't want to like just get into 2E and ignore fifth edition or fourth edition fans and so on. So we'll probably keep touching on all of them, but kind of keep it somewhat light. I'm really more of a fan of the world and the lore than the rules. The rules come secondary to me, like whatever system I'm playing, I will make the rules fit to that. So that's really what I want to keep focusing on. Yep. But we'll try to throw you guys something, especially um, some people who are, are trying to play fifth edition and Definitely. and want to know that. So that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't quite talked about defiling yet. Just so everybody knows it is on our list. We're just, <laughs> we haven't talked too much about it because of the fifth edition rules, which don't exist yet. <laughs> Today, we thought we'd start off uh, this year with talking about a city-state, kind of going a little more in-depth about it, and just talking about it. And this is actually one of Robert's favorite city-states. This is one of my least, not least favorite, but this is the ones I most dread because I can't say the Sorcerer King's name, <laughs> and I will let Robert do that. <laughs> uh, the Sorcerer King of uh, Draj is Tektuk Title, and I kind of like get it's got this sort of Aztec style. And we kind of chose this one also because it's probably one that has the least kind of written about it. Although I say that, and yet I, I should say the least sort of officially published, but the, there is a, a really big PDF that was published by Athos.org, but we'll get into that in, in a bit. So uh, Wayne, why don't you tell us a little bit about Draj? All right, let's start this off. Draj, the city of the moon. It's located basically in a very fertile, like mud flats, silt flats area. And like Robert had just started mentioning, remember when we're talking about Dark Sun, each of these city states are sort of modeled very loosely after a real world culture. And Draj is more of the Aztec Mayan civilization one. And one of the reasons I, I like this, this one, like really just really interesting is because of the, the dichotomy between the sorcerer king and the culture that he maintains. And we're going to start... Actually, it makes more sense to start with the Sorcerer King, obviously, because while some of these cities may have existed before the Sorcerer King, they are really defined by that. And if anybody who's not really familiar with um, you know, Aztec or Mayan uh, civilization, they were very much a warrior race. They are very built upon, actually, competition, sport, I've actually been uh, in that area before uh, a long time ago, 
you got to see these magnificent culture that they built, you know, the worship of the uh, sun and the moon and a lot of competition, a lot of sports that they played, which were incredible. I mean, they have a, a sport that they play with a, like a stone ball. They try to kick it into like these hoops in the middle air. Transporting that into Dark Sun, you have this Sorcerer King, the father of life, master of two moons. And the whole thing about this is that while a lot of the Sorcerer Kings are worshipped or they're, they're, they're leaders and they're all powerful, this Sorcerer King wants to be worshipped as a god. He claims himself to be divine. Mm-hmm. And that has basically shaped how this culture has, has presented itself. Yeah, I always like the idea of this Sorcerer King being a god. And like the only one we, we kind of have like that is Rom, but uh, Abolashre doesn't really claim to be a god. She claim, claims to be a vizier, uh, sort of like another Templar of a god. And so Tekakule is the only one that, that actually claims it. And I always like the, you know, in the Wanders journal, the original one, it talks about that, how there's no gods and how they just claims to be. But then what do the people of the city think? The way he talks about it in Wander's Journal is that like people don't really believe it. They just do it because he's super powerful. Like they just pay lip service basically. But I always like the idea that they're, you know, even though we as players and dungeon masters of Dark Sun know that there's no God, you know, God's people don't necessarily know that. And so I just, I like using that idea sometimes during the game and reminding players that you're not really sure if there are gods or not. You know, they don't give power if there are any kind of things. So that's always fun to do. We always have spoilers. We just need to start putting a spoiler, you know, spoiler alert at the <laughs> beginning of all of our shows. In in the prison Pentad, Tech dies. He's killed by Rajat. And we really don't know much about him or really about the city-state from the prison Pentad. There's very little written in the Wanderer's Journal. There's very little written in, in the Wanderer's Chronicle or in the Veiled Alliance. The Veiled Alliance book is probably what we know most. And then, of course, as I said before, the City Street of Draj book by Athos.org, uh, which was written by Gabriel Cormier and John Sederkvist, which is a great book. And it's like 66 pages. So there's a ton of information. If you really want stuff about Draj, check that PDF out. But as I was saying, you know, we don't really know a whole lot. And then he's killed off. And then things change drastically within Draj as the second or the revised edition comes out of Dark Sun and they decide that, uh, you know, since Tech is dead, what are they going to do? And while I'm not personally a big fan of all the Sorcerer Kings dying, I felt like it changed too much. I did like how they kind of took each city state where the Sorcerer King died and they sort of change it and make it different and have, you know, its future be different than all the rest. And so in the city state of Draj, what happens is the House of the Mind, which is the, the Sionesis of the city and the Templars come together and they raise up this boy and they sort of mind wipe him and install him as the son of tech. And uh, they start, he's basically brainwashed to believe that he's the, that he is uh, the son of a God. And so he believes it, but then he like, you don't really know what's going to happen in the future. There's a lot of room for the boy to rebel or whatever. And so like, I always like that aspect. Mm-hmm. It's a good story basically for uh, if Sorcerer King could die, like what those in power would do to kind of replace him. Right. And, you know, they kind of continue on with, with this mythology that Tectatile is has risen around himself. And that is, you know, like you mentioned before, you know, constant warfare and having this warrior state. So the nobles in, in Draj are all basically warriors and they, they're not kind of like the nobles of other city states. You know, they're just more or less responsible for keeping the city at war and fighting. A lot of that also is uh, 
part of text mythology is sacrifice. Yeah. There's a lot of sacrifice. You know, that's one of the big things in Aztec and Mayan culture, pop culture anyways, that we know about, you know, that's constantly thrown in our faces is sacrifice. The picture of bodies rolling down uh, these ziggurats and stuff like that. Yes. So yes. they kind of keep that and continue to use that um, in Dark Sun, which is, which is cool. Yeah, and it really does fit this kind of brutal, brutal environment. Just so everybody understands, one of the reasons why there's there's not a lot about Draj is because it's really far off the map. Not per se, it, it is still part of the tablelands and on on almost like the kind of contained maps or the of the tier region. It's in the northeast corner, and it's really it's not like there's a bunch of lions going to it. Like there's it goes to Ram, and then that's about it, and it goes into like the the northern area, which in the original box set was not explored. So it was really the end of the road in terms of what's going on, what's happening. And a lot of the player characters would never have gotten there. Like you might start there and come in, but you'd never really go further than 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 Drash. And then, you know, Robert mentioned um in the prison pentad, I believe uh which one uh which one is it that he he's mentioned and it's like the the Krillian Storm. I think it's the last one that he he really comes in and he he gets killed. Yeah. You know, that's where he is and so you, we don't get a lot from the city that's really out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's not obviously when you start playing Dark Sun, you know, the first adventure, Freedom is is set in tier, and uh, there's a lot of conflict with Uruk, which is always trying to invade, and th- those are the more central ones. Or you have the the ones like Nibane and Gulk who are constantly fighting, and and they almost sit right in the middle of the map. Yeah, and they have like a whole box set for them. Yeah, exactly. But now you're talking about these this this one that's really really far away. So why don't we go a little bit deeper into tech? If we haven't really made it clear, I mean, this this sorcerer king believes or wants everybody to believe that he's a god in in a world that there are no deities. He is a god. He is the son of the two moons. God made flesh, and he created this area. He created Draj, and then he was asked by the people to stay and to protect them. <laughs> and all he asks is for their love and their worship and to rip the hearts out of their enemies that they bring back a sacrifice, <laughs> which which is pretty much it. When you go further into it and, and you look at some of the, the later books, I, th- I think he's he is mentioned in um, what's the light, Life and Death of the Sorcerer King? Is Am I getting that in the name of that right? Uh, Rise, and Rise and Fall. Yeah. You learned that Tech was the Wemic Annihilator. He basically had cleared all, he had destroyed all the Wemics and not necessarily a race that was very populous in the first place. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I gotta say, which always made me sad because I thought Wemics would be amazing for, for Dark Sun, right? These like lions and stars. I, th- I thought they'd be really <laughs> Yeah. He was a ninth champion. And by the time that uh, Hamanu had come on board, Tech had already finished. He was, I'm done. And if you look at the fourth edition art of Tech, where he has this like golden armor or bronze armor and this like ostentatious headdress. I, I love that picture. I actually yeah. really love those those pictures and those images of them. N- nothing against Braum, but those ones are really, really nice. Well, those that's actually the first time that he was depicted. Yes, yes. And then you kind of get back, you get into it, and they're like, well, this guy's actually, you know, really petty. He's really spiteful. He's very jealous of his fellow sorcerer kings because he's one of the weakest ones there. He's or 
whether or not he is. I mean, when they gave him stats, I think he made him. Yeah, he was the weakest. Yeah, he's like mm-hmm. low epic level guy, mm-hmm. and you know the the fact that he basically wants all these sacrifices and he's made this warrior nation around him is just an extension of his, I guess, inferiority complex. <laughs> I, I kind of get that feeling, and totally. I, I don't know for sure, right? But. That's why he's always trying to conquer his neighbors. He's always sending out warriors, always trying to rip out more hearts and, and do that. It's just to make himself seem more powerful. And the people of the city, whether or not they believe he's a god, basically have to worship anyways, because the consequence of not worshiping him is that his Templars, what he calls moon priests, and I believe that's the only sorcerer king that actually calls his Templars or her Templars priests, which I guess goes to say something. Yeah, I think that's a good point, yeah. If you don't believe in in this guy's perfect divinity, then, well, your heart is the next one on his ziggurat for him to rip out, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> Definitely. Each of the city-states sort of has a dune trader house that goes along with it, more or less. And in Draj, that house is uh, House Salaxa. And I always like using Salaxa mm-hmm. as um, uh, as an enemy because they're they're... They're one of the houses that is very into slavery. They're kind of okay with defilers and they're okay with just everything sort of on that scale. They're, you know, they're very aggressive. It's easy to make them the bad guy. And they've got, you know, some defilers, some cool defilers to use as kind of uh, bad guys, as lower level bad guys. Slaxa just made it easy to to not like Draj and, and to not like the Draji culture just because they were very similar. In one of my first Dark Sun games, my friend Chris, he played a, he played a Templar of Draj that was, you know, kind of like on a, he was like a spy. So he sort of was out in the rest of the world. But it's interesting that, you know, as I think back, you know, my, that player Chris chose Draj, the small city that, you know, wasn't used a whole lot. And it allowed us to sort of make it, make it our own, which was cool. And, you know, talking about, you know, how much is written, as I'm looking here at the Wanderer's Journal, it's literally a page of Draj, like just less than a page. And so there's not a lot um, written originally. The other place that we got some lore before the City State of Draj came out was the video games. Right, right. One of the interesting things about the Shattered Lands games was that they were set in Draj. And so we were able to get a little more history and lore from there. And then there was a, uh, you know, if you're looking for other, uh, other content or where else you can get more information about Draj, if you look at the We Are Foxhound YouTube channel, which we'll put the link in the show notes, mm-hmm. there is a whole section where they play in Draj. And there's one episode in particular called The God King of Draj. And so you can get some information there if uh, if you're looking for some more lore. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. I, I loved that Dark Sun Shattered Lands game. And talking about it, it kind of make, makes me itching to go play it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> You can get all of those things. Again, we'll put those links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But you can get like the whole series, I think, for like $10 on GOG.com. Yeah, I think so. I, I, was, I was looking at that the other day. I feel like only the first one was actually that good. The rest of them were yeah. not as good. <laughs> Anyways, not the discussion for today. Right? Yeah. So let's talk more about the city now. I mean, I did mention it earlier. This city is, is located on basically a mud flat. You know, basically an old inland sea that basically still has, I guess, water from somewhere underground. And most of the area is basically pure mud, which for Dark Sun makes pretty good fertile ground for for making stuff, right? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why Draj is really easy to defend is because the whole area, except for this hard-packed road, is surrounded in mud. So you try to cross that, you're you're not going to be able to. You can't attack the city that way because it's the whole 300 thing where Mm -hmm. you've got a few soldiers standing in the road and they can keep replenishing them and you have to try to attack with the exact same amount of people. And because there's no real siege weaponry other than magic in Dark Sun, 
you're not at a disadvantage kind of sitting there and just waiting for people. But on the other hand, tech really likes sending out people like we have this warrior culture that he's come out. So he's, he's constantly sending out people to around the neighborhood, to Ram, to everywhere else and trying to basically conquer things. And it's not limited by area. It's like as far as he can get these people, as far as he can extend his, his supply lines, he will go and send someone out and try to take it over. I mean, slave towns and other city states. And there was a running joke that, you know, you could encounter his warriors anywhere. So you could be somewhere further in the south and you have a bunch of like moon priests and they have those like um, scorpion from from Mortal Kombat things where they like stab you with a harpoon and, and reel you in sort of thing. Oh. And that's one of those things. So, you know, Draj was this mysterious enemy that you've never really encountered and talked much about. But that was one of those things that you can always sit down and encounter uh, or the DM can throw at you and be like, hey, this is what's happening. You're like, what? Where are they from? <laughs> yeah. Talking about the city in the Wanderers Journal, it doesn't say much about it other than, like you mentioned, that it's kind of surrounded by this mud flat and that there is a, uh, a great walled compound in the center of the city and it contains several one-story buildings that serve as barracks for his personal guards, Templar quarters, school for the children, the nobles, and Psionics Academy that he personally supervises. So that's another interesting aspect that you probably don't really get in other city-states is that people could have interactions with him because he supervises this academy. So that's probably a little bit different than most other Sorcerer Kings. And then, of course, you have the gladiatorial arena that every uh, you know every city-state has. And his was kind of surrounded by tiers of stone seats, except for one side where there was a giant stone pyramid. And that's where you know many of the sacrifices happen. And there have been, over the years, a couple of different... Uh, interpretations of what that exactly looks like. There have been some fan interpretations. And then in fourth edition was the first time where we got an official drawing of um, of Draj. And so a lot of people malign fourth edition for various reasons. Uh, one of the reasons I like it is that I think they had art for every city state, which we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of the Sorcerer Kings too. So there's a couple of great uh, you know visualizations that you can get from fourth edition. You talked about the mud flat, mm -hmm. and it's basically the mud flat is is not the entire place. So the, the the mud flat is just what is kind of around the city state, and beyond that is a great inland silt silt basin. So you know beyond the mud flat, people could fall in, and you know since you don't float in silt, you can drown. So that, that's another sort of level of protection beyond the sort of mud and that lone walkway that you were talking about before. And and part of that, I mean, when when you're talking about Draj, is that. It's one of the few cities that, that can grow enough food, I believe, and export stuff that grows. I mean, if you're in tier, you're exporting iron a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's other cities, and we'll go through other cities later on, but specifically for Draj, it's one of the only cities that could supply food uh, and grain and, and growth. And I think uh, I, hemp, was it? Or? Yep. Yep. Hemp. Mm -hmm. So basically, the, these two materials, were, which are obviously, in, in when we talked about scarcity, there's only certain thing, certain place that can grow certain certain things. So not only would you have to contend with these soldiers coming from Draj, you'd have to contend with having to deal with House Talaxa to get grain, to get food for your city uh, or for your area, and and that's a that's a big deal because I mean you can't feed your soldiers or you can't feed your your populace. That's that's going to be a big problem, right? And the final thing we d we did mention is sacrifices. One of the big things is slavery and sacrifices are a big part of the society and, and text things. So basically he would personally, you know, rip out people's hearts and throw them down uh, from the, the ziggurat, you know, large amount of sacrifices on top of, you know, gladiatorial games and, and whatnot. So that was a really big deal, more brutal than anybody else. I mean, 
yeah, you would throw gladiators and every single city would have like arenas, but Draj would be more of the sacrificial part of it. Yep. Right. So. And I always thought one of the reasons that kind of there might not be many people in Draj is because, because they do sacrifice so many. Um, and then on top of that, of course, they have to have the thousand uh, sacrifices a year for the dragon's levy. So I always viewed Draj as, uh, as kind of like, like they don't have a lot of slaves. They probably have some, but, um, you know, they probably have to dip into those, you know, for various reasons, whether it's the, the levy or their own kind of, you know, whatever tech just decides he needs some more sacrifices, you know, where, where are these, uh, where are the Templars and the nobles going to get those sacrifices? You know, if they don't have people coming in, then maybe they have to use their own slaves or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You were just mentioning the hemp and the grain that, that they grew um, and had an abundance in Draj. And one of the other things that I wanted to mention that I don't think we've mentioned so far really is the Dune Trader book. The Veiled Alliance book comes in as probably, you know, one of my top rated source books just because it has so much on every single city state. The other book that I'm a big fan of is the Dune Trader book and it has a lot of details about Dune Traders and what they are. I think it's what has the original class. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it also talks about, you know, how elves trade. And we'll go into that, I'm sure, when we um, maybe get into a little more in depth. But one of the main aspects that I love about it is it has this two-page spread of trade goods and prices. And it gives it lists all the trade goods. And then it has how common or rare each good is in the different city-states. So if you're running a trader campaign, you can use this to say, oh, if I look at Draj, fine and rich cloth they have an abundance but they don't have let's see where's something it looks like they actually have lots of stuff there's nothing that they're really really low on you know it just gives gives different rarities for different uh, different items and so you can use that you know in your games to spark some adventure i really love that aspect of the dune trader trader book and i'm sure we'll go we'll talk more about that uh, when we talk about dune traders later so Getting down to mechanics, I know mechanics in terms of game mechanics are, are very difficult when you're talking about a city state. Mm-hmm. And really that's, you want to have that feel, uh, which we talked about in, in, in the previous points. What does the city feel like? So mechanically, a, a couple things that Draj would basically stand out from. Number one is the people there. What, what are the people like? Specifically the people that uh, a BC would interact with. So the, the Templars. And I guess the guard. Draj is armed with obsidian weapons. If you think more in terms of the Mayan or the Aztec culture, that's kind of the look and feel you're going to get. It does talk about those harpoons where you kind of stab them in and, and pull that, that enemy back. The Templars are moon priests. So if you think about not a D&D priest, but a kind of a real world priest where it's more about robes and chanting about the divine rather than heavy armor cleric, that gives you a slightly different thing. And it one of the things I was thinking about was, you're going to keep with that theme of moon priests and whatnot, the spells that these Templars would access would probably follow a little more along that. So stuff like Moonbeam, you know, we, we talked about Darkstone Templars being warlocks. That specialized spell list, you know, I, I, I really think that each Sorcerer King would probably have a, a slightly specialized a spell list for sure that their warlocks would uh, their Templars would access, and that's sort of the thing that I would I would put. And definitely, what does it feel like to be? Uh, if anybody's ever been to, you know, any of the Aztec or Mayan ruins uh, in in Central or South America, like these are are quite magnificent ruins. 
and there are like 45 degree temples. And you're trying to climb up one of these stairs is, is actually pretty daunting because number one, the steps are a little bit slippery. <laughs> and number two, it's, it's literally like it's a 45 or higher degree incline and you are literally climbing the steps rather than stepping on them because there's no handrails or anything like that. And just to see that culture and, and how that would be defined is, is quite interesting. Mechanically though, I don't know how you would define that unless you were like, I'm going to create a game, you know, a game within a game for that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for, like you were talking about before, sort of these, the games that they have that work in classical Mayan or Aztec civilization that you could add to some of the gladiatorial games. One of the things we didn't touch on that I meant to was the Veiled Alliance. So, Mm -hmm. the Veiled Alliance in Draj is kind of one of the weaker ones and the reason they describe that is that the the leader, at least in the again in the Wanderer's Journal and and those adventures or sorry those uh, the other books afterwards, are the leader is not a wizard or sorry is a wizard but is uh, very weak and sort of is only pretending to be very powerful and so she or he I can't remember doesn't kind of want to do any major uh, major activity that would kind of out them and so as a result they kind of don't do anything. <laughs> One of the things I like about the Veil Alliance book was that each each city-state was different. And so, I like that they made the city-state of Draj uh, Veil Alliance weak. And so, it like gives a lot of room for players to be effective. Mm-hmm. But getting back to rules and stuff, if you want rules on Draj, you definitely, definitely go pick up that City Street of Draj book. It has, uh, or sorry, PDF. It talks about all the races and the classes in Draj. It gives a few prestige classes. So it was written for 3.5 or third edition. And, uh, and so it gives, it gives some prestige classes. It gives some feats, which are awesome. And then it, it, it updates a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff with stats for NPCs for third edition. So again, it takes place, you know, after the prison pentad. So tech is already dead. And so a lot of this stuff, you know, if you're going to run it in the previous era, um, would be different, but you could still use a lot of them you know, is the same, you know, talks about here, I'm looking at the Temple of Fire has High Priest Imatech. So like that person could still be the same person, mm-hmm. no matter when you're playing. It's got some, uh, some feats that anybody could use, uh, you know, that you could adjust for any addition as well. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think there's an adventure for something. I'm gonna have to go look real quick. I might have missed that. Uh, there's also a few magic items in here, a couple of psionic items that are interesting. Uh, a lot of the people in Draj, they value um, and tech values jaguars. And one of the things it said in one of the books was that some of the last jaguars outside of the forest ridge are in Draj. Mm-hmm. So there's the jaguar's tooth magic items. There is a ring of psionic mind shielding. And then the prestige classes it has are there's an arrow knight, the eagle knight, and jaguar knight. And these are all kind of elite warriors of Draj. The king's defiler. So that's probably a very useful prestige class even outside of Draj. And then you have the Moon Priest, which is like the Templars um, that they gave their own prestige class to. Mm-hmm. Some of the feats they have here are like Astrologer, Psionic Fist, Psionic Weapon, Jaguar Roar, McKillet Head, <laughs> which means you're obstinate. <laughs> so you get a bonus to will saves. And there's a ton of, like I mentioned before, a ton of NPCs. It looks like there's 18 NPCs. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot of information. And talking about the map that I had mentioned before, there's a map here as well mm-hmm. that looks different than the fourth edition map. So yep. you can pick whichever whichever one you'd like best. Mm-hmm. They're both useful. The fourth edition one looks a little nicer. It's done by a professional cartographer, but the third edition, uh, this third edition one, has some uses too. So yeah, I mean that pretty much covers Draj. I mean, 
like I said, there's there's not as much mechanics. The only thing I'll add, basically, kind of it, it kind of fits in everything, is a daily routine. And if you think about a, a city state or an area that's that's covered in divinity, Tech has his his face all over the place. There's those daily routines that you have to do to to worship him. You might have to to pray in a certain direction or pray towards the moons or whatever. Just something that basically there's a lot to use in here. And this is one of the least well known city states. Yeah, the least written about it. Like Robert mentioned in the original Wanderers Journal, it's only like a page long and, and not even that. Not a lot of information, but a lot of little things you can hang on to and sort of make it your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, definitely if you, you're going to go use it, go download some some imagery from the Mayan and Aztec civilizations. Just go on Google and look for them and you'll find some pretty cool art and you'll get an idea of, of what, what we're looking at. So that's basically it for this episode. It's a little bit shorter. We apologize that uh, for anybody who's ex- expecting our hour and 20-minute episodes, uh, this is not one of those. But we can try to be more consistent. We're going to have uh, more episodes this year as we go through, and we'll mix it up. We'll find some different things to to talk about as well. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely have those links and resources, uh, City State of Draj on Athos.org and the Foxhound actual play, and just a little bit about the Docs and Shattered, uh, Shattered Lands game. Yeah, I mean... That's basically it. Yep. So, Robert, if people want to get in contact with you or uh, know what your con schedule is like, uh, how would they find that out? Yeah, my con schedule, that's a good one. It's not uh, It's not anywhere at the moment, but uh, my ne- the next con I'll be at is Winter Fantasy here in a couple months or a couple weeks, sorry. I'll be at Alcon. I'll be at uh, the D8 Summit. So, I will try to get my schedule up on my Patreon. So, if you want to play Dark Sun with me, I run a, a monthly Dark Sun game and I would love to run some more Dark Sun games. So, if you want to play some Dark Sun, uh, join me at patreon.com slash Robert Aducci, and uh, I'll try to get my schedule up there too, so you can see where else I'm going. I'll be at, hopefully be at Origins, hopefully Phoenix Comic Con, I think. So quite a few cons here in the next coming months. Sounds good. For me personally, I'm, I'm a lot busier this year, so I, I won't be appearing at too many places. But uh, if you're local to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, for those who don't know what that is, um, there'll be a couple of bigger conventions that we're going to be going to. Um, I'm actually running a convention this year, which we'll have more information about later. And you can always catch us online. Both Robert and I are on Facebook and on Athos.org, um, him more than myself. And yeah, we're looking forward, really, really looking forward to doing more of these episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And if you want, just leave some feedback. You can see it on the, the episode notes. You can send us an email. I know that's a very uh, strange thing to do these days, send us an email. Um, <laughs> but you can also check us out on one of the social media platforms. That's it for tonight. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next month. See you.